millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by the support of our kind patrons. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Spanners? Really good. And autosport journalist Chris Stevens. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great, Spanners. We have got some news coming up, haven't we? Because we record on a Sunday. So if stuff drops on a Monday, we sit there and go, ah, we've got to wait a week to talk about it. But we are going to talk about it after our guest interview. Something about Kimi Raikkonen moving somewhere, another young driver on the move as well, and a few other bits and bobs. But we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We are joined by World Endurance Championship star Alex Brundle. How's it going, Alex? Hello, gang. How's it going? Pretty well, thanks. Alex, you kept us company recently at Buckmore Park. Um, was that okay? Hanging out with a bunch of complete rank amateurs and what you, and moving chicanes. Was was that was that okay? Confidence, come on, confidence. <laughs> yes, I very much enjoyed myself um, racing, racing. However, briefly with you, Spanners, and uh, it was it was fun doing a little bit of commentary as well. Yeah. Oh, you call that racing? You're being very polite today. Okay, I don't know. I think I think you guys did pretty well. You, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed participating. I felt guilty because there was like yourself and Bradley who were so far apart from everybody else. I was like, oh, I, I wish there was more like elite guys there so you could have a bit more of a contest. Do you have any idea it, how nice it was to invite like no other elite guys and just be there at the front? Not necessarily having to work for it that hard. Even, even when the, the trainee guy called you all semi-professionals. You know, my, my missus, who was actually there on the day, has actually been reminding me about that endlessly on a on a on a continuous I didn't sign up to date a semi-professional kind oh, of wow. <laughs> so we should explain the story that during the briefing, um, the very good and well organized race director at Buckmore Park did say, Now guys, there's a big difference in skill all the way from complete rookie to semi-professional. And uh, Mr. Brundle here was, Oh, thank you very much. 
I thought it was I thought it was adequately described, at least at least in temperament. I did get him back though by locking it up completely about across the line, then getting it wrong and going backwards. And the way the guy looked at me was, yeah, is, it wasn't uh, it wasn't out of, out of a period drama. Put it that way. Is is, uh, is that why you left so quickly? <laughs> I did sort of do a yeah, es- escort Mister Ronald to his car and uh, and help him on his way. <laughs> so you said about us racing wheel to wheel. Now there was one race where you were starting at the very back, not because you qualified badly, just because that's the way we put the grids out. And I was the car directly in front of you. So for two corners, I was very near a world endurance driver. Um, but I turned around and you yelled, I'm going to push you. And you were like nodding as if this was a completely normal thing. And my brain is saying, uh, no, bad, bad thing. That can't be good. But then I'm you, saying, shut up, brain. He knows what he's doing. We'll just get pushed. You, you bump drafted. You know that. That's, that's that what, what you did. That's what I did. So, I bump drafted. However, however, however unaware, you did, you did bump draft briefly. So you can add that. If you, if you have a CV somewhere or any kind of you know, personal information, can bump draft. You can now go on that CV. So my bump draft included just screaming into my helmet as you were shoving me into places I didn't want to go. So I was trying to break to avoid a first corner melee and you were just shoving. What is the purpose of that? What is the tactic? It's, it's, to push, it's to push you past and around the melee. But as the leader of the bump draft, your important function is to guide the bump draft beyond the melee. Right. OK. You massively overestimated what I can do in a go-kart. <laughs> Sorry, I have to interrupt from the chat room. Bradley says Spanners has a terrible bum draft. I don't know what that means, but I will say to you, Alex, um, when I got out of the car, I think after my first race, Bradley just came over to me and he said, wow, it's it's really apparent that you lack even even any basic racecraft. I was like, yeah, I know. So it's all fine and well trying to take the corners properly. But when you get to these things, these tactics, these bump drafts, these wheel to wheel things, I just don't know what to do. Plus, I had the pressure of I didn't want anyone going home going, oh, yeah, Spanners invited me karting just so he could punt me into the wall. So I had that pressure. We found one area of karting where I'm better than you, Spanners. I only spun one guy out. (laughs) <laughs> I think I spun out more people. <laughs> I spun out more people than that. So um, you even, yeah, like as you mentioned, you helped out Chris with some commentary as well. Is that something you have a passion for as well? I, I had done some commentary, you know, a little bit for GP2. What have I done? A little bit for GP2 and a little bit for some MSA race days and this and that. But it's mostly kind of just a little bit of a cameo. Um, I do tend to have a little bit of fun when they're um, a bit more low key. Um, <gasps> but yeah, I, I enjoy it. Low key. Ow, no, 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 no. Well, come on now. I'm not suggesting this is low key. Here we are. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is going to take some recovery, but okay, let's recover. Um, with every famous driver, there's always pictures of them as impossibly young kids in go kart gear. And compared to the adult, you just think, wow, what is that? What is that tiny thing doing controlling this machinery? Obviously, you were a karting kid. Do you feel like you were just shoved into a go-kart before you knew what was going on? Or you didn't turn to your dad and say, Father, I have noticed this thing called go-karting and I would like to participate. I'm imagining oh, no, it was no, more... No, I did. There was, did. there was definitely a moment when that happened. Yeah, I, I, I said, right, this is a thing called karting. In fact, I believe I had the VHS video helpfully entitled this is karting which <laughs> which which explained the situation quite well and it was martin it was martin hines on a supercar who was an absolute ledge at the time and um yeah i said dad i, I want to go and do this and he goes well that's lucky because you were anyway and then we <laughs> and then we embarked upon north pickenham raceway in my cadet um which i managed to land in the middle of the start finish straight after clipping a barrier on day two um but you know yeah it was good 
Nice. So what age did this all start? And I do have an ulterior motive because I've got an eight-year-old who can kind of turn a wheel a little bit, still a little bit of fear with the right foot sometimes. But when's the right age? Have I already missed the boat because he's eight? It gets younger and younger. So I was eight, but I'd, I would be a bit behind the game now. Um, you're talking six now, these kids start. Ah, it's too late then. Poor tree face. It's over for so, him. So you're saying at 52, like way too late for me. I don't know. Obviously, people start, you know, the, it depends how quickly you sort of grasp things. Like, There's loads of touring car drivers, aren't there, that start late and, you know, other forms of proper motorsport like that where, you know, guys are, guys are starting in kind of their mid-20s and getting on with it. But if you're looking at a kind of meteoric Lando Norris style ascendancy to, to F1, then, yeah, you've got you to gotta start real early doors. And to do that, do you, do you need a pushy dad to do that because it's not like a playground activity where you can say oh you know let's have a quick kickabout let's have a quick go-kart race but not in my good shoes because my mum will kill me so do you do you just need that thrust behind you um i think it's just it, there there's definitely two sorts of kids that are that are at the racetrack when you're karting there are the haves and the have-nots yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's very much like there's the the guys who are just with the team everything's being thrown at it and it's quite clear that those guys parents are behind it 100 percent, and they've already decided it there's type of kid too where dad either can't or isn't quite sure and they think this phase might pass and they might <laughs> get him a tennis racket and yes. just everything but you know if we just hide for long enough then this racing thing will all go away and i won't have to spend any more money on it and and those guys are but then often then the drive those guys often go further because often then the drive is coming from the individual themselves, which it eventually has to because dad can't be there, you know, turning the steering wheel for you all the time. I, I love that thought of those dads just going, oh, please be rubbish. Please be rubbish. It's like my daughter said, I love ponies. Like, no, you don't. Shut up. No, you absolutely <laughs> don't. So it's really interesting that you can you can kind of, there must be some kids there that actually don't want to be there. It's just that their dads are maybe guys who've succeeded in business and never had the chance when they were kids. They're like, you will go karting. There were some kids in higher formulas who don't want to be there. There are some kids on the brink of F1, I think, who don't want to be there. And it's evident in their results and delivery and demeanor at the track. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's just one of the depressing things about the way motorsport works. So there are kids who don't want to be there and then other kids who are desperate who don't get the chance. Do you feel you're one of those dads, Spanners? Which one? What, the one that's just shoving? Yeah, well, because, yeah. yeah, literally, karting was just out of reach, just the way we grew up. And, and now, not only is everything generally more affordable for the, for the next five months, but also, uh, karting is kind of more affordable and more widespread. So, yeah, there is a part of me that when my kid goes karting and he kind of doesn't realize what an amazing chance it is to even get to do that, I'm like strangling. I go, don't you realize how incredible this is that you get to do it? And he's like, Meh. So, so yeah. Um, but why would he know that? You know. So I'm being a bit unfair. It's kind of a difficult one, isn't it? Because you you, you want to give the chance. You'd always want to give the chance. You can't deny a kid the opportunity. But at the same time, I know how fruitless it can be because I've been there, even as high as sort of Formula Three, to be in a kart race in the wrong kart or in a car race in the wrong car, and it's almost dis- you can you can destroy a passion like that. You know, if you half do the early the early stages, it's almost sometimes better than not doing it at all in a way. Um, But you can't just not go on that basis. 
uh, no chat room. I'm not asking him which drivers he was talking about. You can come to your own conclusions there, uh, I'm sure. So it's interesting then talking about going into the car phase. So kids come out of carts. How long do you stay in carts? Uh, up to like 12, 13? It kind of depends. Like a lot of guys go on like Mac for Saffron and do a load of sort of gearboxy kind of stuff while they're preparing their single seater career. That's a completely accepted route. And then there are guys. Uh, well, I, I jumped to cars really, really early because karting is kind of a bit of a black art. Um, and so you don't really know, you know, uh, we were doing it ourselves at the back of a van um, because basically we that phase of motorsport putting that kind of investment in it. Is this karting, just, is it, that you're talking about It's karting, oh, So yeah, it was you and, you, and, you and your dad tipping up to go-kart tracks in the back of the van. Was your dad mechanicking yeah. for you? Yep. All right. Yep. Yep. Dab mechanic in, and um, we had a we had a mate come along and help him sometimes because he used to do his back in lifting the thing off the off, <laughs> off the stand. But yeah, we did it in yeah. a really really kind of rudimentary way. Um, so we jumped to cars really early, but so it it's really depends on which way you want to go. I always imagine I'm a bit disappointed now. I was imagining a branded Brundle like motorhome turning up at the car track, well, like a like a helicopter drop <laughs> yes. of the <laughs> no. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I was lucky enough to talk to somebody who was in the uh, Central European Karting Championships, and he was originally Brazilian, and he told me like what it costs to do a proper year of karting in Brazil, like just the budget you have to bring to get through, and mm-hmm. it was staggering. Is it that way in the UK as well? I mean, this is why he went to Central Europe is because it was much less expensive to raise there than it was in brazil is it an expensive thing once you get serious about it and did that have anything to do with just going ahead and moving to cars at that point oh yeah i mean you're talking six figure amounts that that people are spending on karting um and to go because you know they're they're tubular chassis and if you really want to do well people are taking it down as with all things in motorsport to the absolute finest possible edge so you get guys using a chassis once throwing it away using chassis like their tires and all that kind of stuff and to be honest i think there's a certain amount that you can gain through that phase but then there's a lot to be said for getting out there and knowing which way to turn when you go out the pits at brands hatch which is what you'll be doing for the rest of your career if you're any good um so yeah karting has its place for me but it's still you you know there is a progression um, and there's a certain po- point where it's like, right, okay, I've taken what I can from this. It's kind of pointless now. So when you're in that karting phase, that very top level before going into cars, is it obvious which of the guys is going to do well in the next step? Or, or is it is it the cars where you find out? I think it's kind of obvious who's going to make the next step um, because you've got the, – there are two things that have to happen. Firstly, there have to be results. And secondly, there has to be finance. Um, and by hook or by crook, so you've got the group of guys that have already made some Formula 1 contact and they're going to kind of jump into the junior single-seater stuff. And then when I was coming through, we had all the racing step stuff that would move them into Formula Renault, etc. There's the guys with – wealthy very passionate parents who would just be moved whether they liked it or not and then there was the guys who were really good but didn't have the funding who would probably end up sort of in like a Clio cup or like a sports car moving into kind of an LMP3 if it didn't exist then but it was probably CN series back then and they'd be jumping in and you know trying to hustle their way up the 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 other ladders that are available so i'm sure Clio cup's very competitive and i 
love to do something like that. But when guys get moved into that position, is that kind of like a, oh man, did, did you hear what happened to Jimmy? Yeah, he's in, he's in Cleo Cup. You're like, oh, poor Jimmy. Is that... But these these guys know. So guys know how much it's it's pretty common knowledge all the way through. I mean, could, I could write you an itemized bill to get you to GP two if you like. It's everybody knows what it costs all the way through the ladder of of someone's money. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be. Would you be willing or, to give us a ballpark? Um, to get to the position where you're capable of being a Formula One driver. Um. Six million. Ooh. Oh, I said, hang on a minute. I just need to sit down a bit more than I'm sitting down now. I mean, that's incredible. But obviously, some guys are able to get the attention of teams or backers as well. It's not just rich kids. If you're good, you can. If you're good, someone will supplement you, and also the team will supplement you, and you, nothing will come out of you. I mean, there are people that have taken a salary out of, out of driving a GP2 car. But um, yeah, I mean, look, it, that's if that's yeah. it. Like Tesco shopping, okay, I'll have one from this aisle and one from that aisle and one from that aisle style. You know, go to the top. It's obviously very, very few people can do that amount in in cold blood and just go right. Well, that's my investment. Let's have a crack at F one then, shall we? So on this um, cars ladder, so sort of like Formula Renault, and I guess there's more like regional F threes and F three, um, F two. Where do you think guys get found out? Is there sort of various stages where you go, oh, that guy, he really wasn't cut out for it, but now you can really see that he's not, or or vice versa? People are on such different trajectories. Like, they're, 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 again, it's kind of a, a couple of, uh, everyone is on their own. It's, it's noisy, right? Everybody is on their own path. But there are a couple of well-troddens. There are the natural talents who go through, can absolutely smash something like Formula Renault, then jump into F3. That's the phase where they have to start working at it and can come a cropper on the basis that they were normally just fast enough to annihilate everyone without actually having to work at it. And now they do and or don't get in the right car, which can end them to a degree. Then there are the workers who probably make their way through Formula Renault, do quite well, Formula 3 quite well. And if they've got a really calm head on them, can make it all the way because... Mm. Actually, the the very top level, I believe, is more about who can do it on the day with the pressure than actually who, you know, who could do the ultimate fastest lap if you gave them infinite tyres and infinite laps, uh, which is one of the main reasons why sim races don't often cut it in the world of ah. realistic motorsport, um, because it's actually, you know, you can't reset, you can't go again. There is only one. There is only one hit wonder. Um, but you know, honestly, some people just phoenix through the second half of their career and do an amazing job. So it's it's case by case, really. So Neuropean asks a great question in the live chat room. Hello, live chat room. By the way, if you want to join this live chat, go on YouTube and search Missed Apex Podcast and subscribe to us because it makes us feel great. Uh, but Neuropean asks, when does the manager or a manager step in and take over from the parent. Is there a time where, because I mean, we, obviously it was highly publicised that Lewis Hamilton's dad kind of made himself a race driver manager, also managing Paul Rester. But at some point, mm. Lewis wanted to break away. Is there points in the junior series where people have to come in and kind of wrestle a good racer away from their parents? Yeah, well, that's kind of one I, I don't really know too much about because I've never had, I went from it being dad to it being me. I've never actually had I've never actually had management of any sort all the way through and maybe I maybe that's foolish maybe I should have done but I've always sort of handled myself quite a lot quite a lot of the teams want to talk to you 
as yeah. opposed to talking to a manager. Maybe that's because a manager is going to push them way harder on the deal and they think they can get one over on you because you're, you know, 18 and you don't know, you don't know which way is up. But um, yeah, I, I don't really know. But it's, it's through that Formula 3 phase where you're either cutting it or not because there's still quite a lot of competition. But every single year you do of it is a big deal doing two years of f3 because you know of, because of a, money or because in terms of, yeah, yeah well in terms of investment it's like a that's that's where it's like okay we are this is not a game we are playing with very very fast race cars now and you need to be getting on with it so i was going to ask then about the competitiveness since you've gone on to that like that must be a real hot house atmosphere you're only what 16 17 in formula 3 and you're competing for this golden future with so much at stake like can you can you even get on with any of the other young drivers or is it just i hate you i would walk over your corpse to get an f2 seat i i think the guys that actually make it are potentially a little bit more like that but there are there are a big group where they're, <laughs> they're a big group that haven't you know although they really want to make it to the highest level of motorsport i, I remember just trying to do as well as possible but not really comprehending quite the nature of the opportunity available. And it with, you know, obviously with dad and everything, if I can't do it, then, you know, I would imagine there are quite a lot of guys in the same boat. You don't, you know, you don't know what the other thing is. So I start at kind of 18 years old. I'm not going to be in Formula One till I'm, well, you know, I start cars, say 15, sorry, yeah. I'm not going to be in Formula One till I'm 21. I don't know what Formula One is going to be like when I get there. Thing, things change so massively that actually I don't know if I'm going to make it all the way through to GP2 and there's just going to be no seats. And then that could just be, be me done. So you're, it's such a massive roll of the dice. You've got yeah. to do it for passion in the end. But I know how humble you know racing drivers are so i'll say it for you but you were you were in the top half of of f3 top third even weren't didn't you finish seventh in that championship Is yeah that... formula formula two yeah in formula two isn't, um, isn't that enough to get noticed i mean very few people can do that yeah i mean th- this is the thing for, formula one becomes ever more ever more crowded place dad often describes it as a moving escalator with nowhere to get off so there's just a pile of kids at the top uh, we're, we're all just there just mounting up the reality is there used to be if you talk about you know years past there used to be 30 f1 cars you used to have to pre-qualify yes. to get into formula one and there weren't any russians there weren't any asians there were european kids it didn't cost as much so more and more drivers and less and less seats you don't have to be a you know world-renowned economist to work that one out um so that that's just the reality of it it's, it's tougher and tougher so if you don't mind, it's a little bit of a personal question. Did you have F1 as an aspiration? Did your dad have F1 as an aspiration for you? Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think it was kind of that Formula 2 year where, you know, I'd been on the podium five times, been on pole, led races and, you know, stuff was going well. And then I got to the end of that year and it was literally like nothing had occurred. It was just you, oh, wow. you got you get you get to the end of it a year like that, and you you think you've done you know you think you've done a pretty decent job, and you recognise that if you in a single seater are not just destroying everyone, uh, then you're not going to make a meteoric rise to F1. And if you don't make a meteoric rise to F1, there's kind of no point. You end up languishing in the back, paying the bills basically, 
and and I think that that's what I wanted to avoid, which is why I went sports car racing. And then I jumped in a car at Le Mans, did well, and it just kicked off like that. So that was kind of the vibe. That was literally the question I was just about to ask you when you first got into sports cars. I mean, because you drove a lot of stuff over mm-hmm. me, a lot of sports car. The the Leger, you were very successful in LMP3 and European Le Mans. Was there a point at which you did you go, I like this better? Or was it always just, this is the door that's open. I'm going to go through it as hard as I can. Uh, so racing, you, you can't afford to be picky, man. I mean, it, it's just a case of, it, it's like the, the guy who starts, there's a name for the guy who starts going, uh, yeah, well, I don't really fancy that one particularly. He's, he's, he's known as unemployed. So <laughs> you just, you have to, you have to drive whatever you have the opportunity to drive to the best of your ability. And it's all after, you know, the basic technique of doing the thing of, of, of racing car, then you have to pick up some you know, techniques that are specific. And then after that, it's all kind of the same thing, a little bit of nous, um and, and, and hard work. But yeah, I jumped in a sports car at Le Mans for the first time. And it was just like, um, why does anybody race anywhere else? Love. Um, and that was, was that 2016, 2017? Um, so, wow, the first sports car I drove, I did 10 laps in the test day, actually, for Greaves Motorsport in 2012. That is how unbelievably violently old I am. <laughs> you're making me and matt feel very bad alex <laughs> so yeah i did i did 10 laps there and i think i did a time on the test day it would have put me third on the grid um in in 10 laps um so it, it kind of just grew from there really so i wondered because your dad had has sort of often said i think he said on beyond the grid that he felt he was of a higher standard in a sports car is that was there a big elbow in the back going do you know what sports cars are blinking brilliant alex I think it's you realize that there's a chance. The the great thing about sports car racing, the thing that absolutely I loved about it is there are three guys in the car. So there is in in something like Formula Three. I mean, I had the worst year of my motorsport career in Formula Three with a team who I will always believe didn't give me the car that I needed to do anything in the series. And I had less downforce, basically, and less down. There's there's no overcoming less downforce. Um, but the great thing about sports cars, there's three guys in the car. So after you get out, he gets in. So there's no mess with your head. Oh, it must be you, kid. Oh, yeah, we always knew you were no good, kid. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I was under the impression that all those cars were the same in those junior series. Uh, how did you have less? Are they, are they not? <laughs> so so I, I, this is how ignorant I am. Somebody said to me, oh, it's you know, a spec series. That, Go on. All the junior series. <laughs> I, I, well, I had a tweet the other day that said junior series are like communism. Some teams are more equal than others, which I think about sums it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's uh, how, how to describe it. I mean, I've made one change on a test day uh, and and made the car go a second faster, you know, eight, seven, seven, eight tenths a second faster. Um, so setup is massive. You have so many parameters you have, uh, you know, so many options, even with a spec single seater. Uh, don't don't be, be absolutely assured that on the GP2 grid, you know, you can get in one car and the performance available to one car is not the performance available to another car. There are good cars and bad cars, even outside of F1. I've just remembered who told me. It was you, Chris Stevens, Autosports Chris Stevens, because I said 
that Stroll had an advantage through the junior series. And you laughed at me and you said, no, all the cars are the same. So it's your fault. No, no. You can still have an advantage even if what is delivered to the factory is all the same. Ah, okay. So it's more spec than Formula One. Um, before we go on, go on, Matt, you go for it. Well, I was just going to jump in with the uh, IndyCar comparison because there your uh, major differentiator to a very large extent is just your ability to, uh, to mess about with the suspension. That alone can be huge in terms of uh, extracting performance from the car. I think, I think it's, it's also important to recognize that basically the the drivers are also responsible for that and that's something i think that we miss a lot in the junior single seater series because you turn up testing is curtailed everything you know you rock up you race you go home and then that's how the single seater series are working now because basically nobody can afford to go testing but the the other thing that's mega about prototype racing and i'm a little bit of an advocate you may have noticed is um is that actually it's my is my responsibility to make it fast and if I know what I'm on about, then that then that helps. But I have, but in the junior single seater series, you don't actually have the time to do that. You're working essentially. Mm-hmm. So if I jump into Prima after Lance Stroll, I am working for the first half of my season with whatever he liked, because it's all his feedback. Just a seat lined with money, I imagine. Go on, Matt. <laughs> I was going to say basically it's arrive and drive. Yeah, completely, completely. But you know that's. That's how the series are working because they want you to go in and find out who is the fastest straight away. But unfortunately, the reality of motorsport is finding out who is the fastest straight away is just not a possible thing. So tell, um, so tell me, you ended up on the Le Mans podium in a LMP2 car. Do, yes. Was this completely down to your ability to set up a car well? Would you take full no, credit for that? No, it was completely down to the fact that hybrids all binned it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were, we were, yeah, second, second on the LMP2 podium, and then third overall. But that was how the race, that was how the race played out. It was sort of wet and dry and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was the year that all of the Toyotas managed to go off somehow. Yeah, absolutely. But that's that's the sort of cool thing that can happen in a race like that. But you know, you have to be there to kind of for that kind of cool thing to happen to you. But exactly, I was going to say like once you're on the podium, none of that matters. Like, how awesome is exactly. it to be on the Le Mans podium? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is awesome, and it is a really really cool race again because you know it, at Le Mans there's no hiding. You have to go very fast for a very long time, and over 24 hours if you're not good enough. There's no amount of tire management or warming up or cooling down or being good on a set of Pirellis that's going to change that. You just have to go really fast. And if you can go really fast, then you'll be fine. Well, if you and your teammates can go really fine, I mean, how does that yes. team dynamic work? Because I'm, I'm just not a team player. I don't care about anybody else. Uh, I, mean, it, I mean, it's awkward if there's a guy who's just off the pace or if he dings it and, and bins it. I quite like it. It's, you're you're responsible for everyone and again it's how it's how a team game should work even in the even in the single seater system you should probably you know you're responsible for your engineer's decision you know you're responsible for your your team manager's decisions but in a sports car environment the you know it's your job to help the other drivers and i think it grows it's a nicer environment to be in than just like the guy, you know, I don't want to work with the guy you referenced earlier on, the tread over your corpse guy. He won't make it where I work um, because essentially all the other drivers will gather around and and go to the team manager and go, this guy, we just cannot 
cannot deal with him. So it is, honestly, it is like people claim it is. I will spend time with my teammates. I will help them out as much as possible because nobody, like being in, it's like being in a rubbish boy band if you're at the back, in a back sports car team. Nobody cares who's the lead singer. Everybody just cares that you're terrible. And so you, you have to be you have to work as one and then when you're at the front you know you can try and promote yourself and all of these kind of things but so a quick one before trumpets question hannah hassel in the slack group is asking if you hadn't become a racing driver what would you have been so i'm assuming from that boy band member boy band member yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no direction my boy band <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could have been hit the apex hit the apex it's gone trumpets <laughs> what were you getting in with yeah well i was going to get into the sort of that ultimate as a driver, you like a car a certain way. You have two teammates who like a car, maybe not that way. When it comes to the compromise on setup, is that something the drivers work on together? Or is that something the engineers sit down and look at lap times and go, well, look, I'm sorry, this car is going to be not at all like you like it, but it makes the team fastest overall. Yeah, it's a complex question because it, it, it's kind of based around an assumption that you can put the car absolutely anywhere you want it which is just not really the case i mean for example to give you to give you an example of a, a work weekend you go out in fp1 at 9 a.m on a friday morning and then the track will change by an a completely indeterminate amount the temperature will change the four support series in front of you have dropped oil and michelin tire rubber everywhere and then you go back out in fp2 and have another go at getting a balance it's it's hard enough to make sure that the team don't panic set up the car into like a massive hole in a race weekend so the idea that we all sit down and you know i'm sitting there across from my teammates at uh, manor or dc racing and going no 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 mate i'm afraid you know if i uh if i don't you know if i don't get to put that 10 degrees of steering lock in there i just simply won't be fast enough it's like macro in comparison to that so getting a good balance is just it is the main thing and everybody likes a everybody likes a fast race car and you've driven with uh some pretty fast people who has impressed you uh, of your teammates who is like impressed you as like just like wow this is someone who has it very very together mm, who's good um it's difficult because sometimes the really impressive people are people i, I don't like that much but uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, there, there are, and and that often comes uh, often comes with being um you know just super intense like super super intense guys who have everything squared away there are two guys that jump into my mind of being uh really exceptional talents one of them was Rene Rast um who on race pace was very good but in qualifying was just like there's only one he's the only guy where he would do a qualifying lap and I would be like okay how though um uh, you know <laughs> there, there's an element of there's not that much grip how did you do that um you know that said occasionally he would whack stuff but over yeah over and and Robin Frines was another one who's who's proper properly good properly properly good yeah all right I have one more which is who always left the cockpit the messiest because like my daughter, she leaves crap in my car all Define the time. Define messy. Stevens, I'm still digging his mess out from my backseat cushions from when we covered Formula E together. But you know what I mean. 
I, I'm just kind of a jokey question. Yeah, nobody. Okay, so nobody. If anybody actually did the thing which I think you're referring to, uh-huh. there would be serious words. And and hoping <laughs> and hoping. So I had a I had an open top cockpit in a car in uh, I raced with Hope in Tung, uh, Jaguar Formula E driver, and uh, and David Chen who owned the team right. in um, in Shanghai once, and he made a. A extremely aggressive claim that I had done that, but it'd been raining all race, and the air quality there is very, very bad. So we have a rolling argument about that. But no, yeah, no, no one actually does that. Believe what you want, no one actually does that. Is it, I think Lewis Hamilton was quite good on grill the grids. I think they they asked him, you know, would you ever go in the seat? And he went, "Why would an adult do that? Like, surely you can just manage that as an adult." Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, it's endurance racing. Sure, you're in there for a long time. But honestly, you're if you're, you know, thinking about that kind of thing, then you're not concentrating hard enough on hitting the apexes, mate. So we were talking about um, who you rated as good. Uh, and obviously, you've been in that position where you've been able to really see people in the same machinery as you, as you in the same uh, field as you, in the same class as you. As somebody who's come up through this system that the Formula One drivers have come through, do you ever get frustrated looking at Formula One or you go, yeah, that, that, I know that guy was slower than that guy. And does, cause you've got that insight. Does it ever hit home personally? Yeah. I mean, I know. God, I, I suppose I'm a little bit jaded with it all. I'm a little bit. This is what we not, want. You're not jaded, like Spill. skeptical. Um, in the, I, I kind of recognize that these things are often, uh, business things that don't necessarily relate to to motorsport. I also know that in terms of you know career advancement, sometimes getting into the back back of F one is not necessarily the best thing for you. If you know if you right. if you're somebody who goes into F one and then doesn't achieve on that kind of stage, you can ruin your own career in Formula One. For example, Jason Plato is a guy who I think is an absolutely incredible race car driver, touring car driver, made a career for himself. Brilliant. Very impressive. If he had made it further in the single seater system, he may not be the driver oh, he is interesting. today. Mm. Uh, I guess what you're really asking me is, do I think I could cut it in a Formula One car? And the answer is, yeah, I do. Um, but I actually think, you know, if you can cut it in LMP1, you can cut it in Formula One. Andre Lotter approved that. Brendan Hartley a little bit but i think he's had a bit of an unfair ride um yeah the thing is we do as f1 fans tend to be a little bit blinded to the other series and unfortunately during the live show one of our one of our patrons who was sat right behind you just absent-mindedly in this sort of like casual world endurance ism said uh oh this could be the end of brendan hartley's career and uh and you sort of pulled him up on it and he couldn't have been sat in a worse place to say that could he alex (laughs) there's there's life there's life outside f1 and it's actually really well that's kind of frustrating because inside formula one is brilliant motorsport and everybody rips it to pieces but you know take the race in monza was fantastic it's one of the most yeah one of the most exciting motor races i've seen in a long time there is a lot of nonsense around it but as i grow older i realize it's necessary nonsense because things have to get sold and things have to get paid for and that's kind of the deal if you're gonna run a series with that much profile 
Is there purer racing out there? Yeah, there is, of course. Is there racing that could be better to watch? Yeah, there is, of course. But then, you know, you look at something like NASCAR and they invent five races in the race to make sure that they're all racing all the time. And you think, well, yeah, maybe not. What do you think the purest series is right now? And and in terms of pure, I mean, in Formula One, it's car, 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 driver. Yeah. In IndyCar, it's like driver, 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 car. Like, yeah. what, where do you see the balance and, and what do you think is is got the best stuff going on right now? Well, so throw out anything with BOP. So anything with BOP is political. Um, you know, and then you're looking at Form- Formula One is a Formula One is an extremely pure form of motorsport. You've got a load of manufacturers. It, it, I mean, te- technically the purest. You've got a load of manufacturers who have to make their own car. Um, and you know, yeah, they can lend each other engines and this and that. The problem with formula one is there's so much money involved that actually the arrival of the driving talent can be jaded a little bit by that. Although that's kind of slowly clunking into life. IndyCar. Yeah. But you know, most of the grid is still paying to be there. Um, Aussie V8, I think probably is the, the purest form of motorsport available. So then that leads on to a question from our um, social media and graphics guy, Felix Bowen in Sweden. Nice guy, calls me on Skype with no shirt and drinks alcohol from a jug. So I don't I don't know why he does that, but I just needed to share that that's something that has happened to me and that's what I have to deal with. But his question was basically, if you could create the new pinnacle of motorsport, you're handed not only the keys to a car in that a series but you also get to invent it you know do you go down the open wheel route do you have a ton of aero do you have it on grass do you have it on tarmac do you have runners you know what's to you what is the what should be the pinnacle of motorsport do you remember midget legends like the or if, in fact even better like aussie racing cars have you ever seen aussie racing cars the tiny miniature so i had an idea a long time ago now which was kind of like a childhood fantasy of a race series of running those extremely souped up indoors on incredibly sticky tires in like a coliseum style environment with big music speedway style and loads of drive loads of drivers loads of cars like 30 qualifying you know one lap qualifying boost kind of uh kind of set kind of setup that kind of thing would be a really good series to have but also you know I, I would like to see f1 go prototype and go and go back to being sort of incredible machinery oh. doesn't matter about environmental so, so you think do you think it's gone too too spec do you want do you want it to go back to the sort of like double decker wings and just people trying anything i, I would like to see all all aerodynamic devices above the floor band in f1 that's mm. what that's what if i had if i had the opportunity to do that that's what i would see um and then i believe that the feeder series will follow suit because all that's pressing f1 at the moment into a certain area is the necessity to be the fastest race cars in the world mm. so they have to they have to keep all the downforce on i take all the downforce away uh, give them back complete engine freedom without necessarily without necessity for any hybrid component and let the boys race so that's with what, one comp- with one compound tire that lasts a third of the race good so to you you want to see 
you know, the wheel to wheel, because there's a lot of guys who will say, you know, Formula One's always been a, a certain way and you don't need tons of overtaking for it to be good racing. But do you want cars swarming around you as a race driver? I think it's what I think it's what will make the races exciting. I mean, if I look at what generated, you know, excitement, the moments that generated excitement in Monza uh, and, you know, the past, the past back, you've got to give guys the opportunity to have multi-phase races. That's what's really interesting. So this guy is able to attack that guy and then that guy comes back at this guy. But then obviously if you stage that too heavily with something like DRS, you just get him driving past him and him driving past him, drag, drag race style. But, you know, look at kart racing, but essentially take kart racing at its purest form, blow it up big and make lots of noise. And then that should that's how F1 should be. I love it. It's been a fascinating chat, Alex. We are going to let you go because we get to the point where we talk about news and just kind of yell at each other. But I think we, we want two more questions, one from Trumpets and one from me. All right. So we're going to start with the idea that the team you're currently driving for is the best team in the world and there's nothing wrong with it at all. However, if you were given your choice, if you could pick any team, any series, right now that wasn't who you're currently contracted for and you had to pick someone that's not your current team so i'll put that in there too so whoever manages your pr is happy (laughs) (laughs) what series what team would you most want to go to i mean you it's 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 not a tough question it's it's mercedes in formula one Uh, that's (laughs) the that's it's a really, really boring answer to quite an interesting question. But if I had to pick outside Formula One, it would be Toyota in the World Endurance Championship. All right. But, but to some people, the situation with Toyota and the LMP1s and them have, being perceived to not have any competition, do, do you see that as negatively as it's sometimes portrayed? Yeah, I mean, anybody who says they don't have the drivers in the Toyotas don't have any competition needs to have a look at the garage because there's two of them um but uh yeah I, I understand i understand that the reality is that the, the the dominant force in a world championship of that nature should be a manufacturer i get it it's frustrating for the privateers point of view but the privateers are there to can race amongst each other i think yeah uh, the, the big prize I, I think it's fair that the big prize goes to toyota um, the problem that you've got for those uh, at risk of going into boring techie tech is to to make... They love this. The, Our audience uh, love that make, stuff. Come on. <laughs> to make a manufacturer win a race, but by a little bit, given all potential scenarios, it's actually pretty much impossible. You, you can't make sure that there's a victor while also making it close because so many different things can happen strategically in a race that in order to generate a certain victory or in order to give someone a victorious advantage, it's pretty much impossible to make the race close. Well, you said someone, not a team. Well, uh, <laughs> well, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that was the case, actually. I think I think the team potentially saw it that way, but I'm not sure the organizer did. Have you got um, a PR guy staring at you right now? Like giving you, <laughs> Alex. So we'll we'll let you dip out of that one. I have got one last question for you though. Um, when you watch the Formula One races, obviously it's covered on Channel Four and Sky and BBC. Which commentary do you listen to? Is it covered on Channel Four? Is it sometimes half the oh, time? Okay. Cool. They've got one race next year, and they're oh, sorry, no, more... I, I didn't know because I, I I have Sky. So I I think we'll take that <laughs> as question answered. I just I hope you realise who his dad works for. 
So, oh, no, I that just was thought... kind of an obvious No, question. no, he had no idea at all. If no. I if I was doing the Sky commentary, was it on after Hollyoaks? Is it? Or... And my <laughs> and the, <laughs> if 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 my son was listening to F1 commentary and I was doing it, he would go out of his way to pick the other two. That's what I was interested in. <laughs> uh, Alex, I hope we'll get you back for some winter karting at a missed Apex event and back on the show sometime. Good to see you guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now it's time to look at the Big Dirty News. I'm really happy, Chris, that we had this opportunity to speak to Alex Brundle. It was planned before the Kimi Raikkonen news. But when that news broke, I suddenly realised we're in the shed. We're recording. We do get to talk about it. Tell us what's what's happening. What have we missed? What's really going on? Well, of course, the huge news this week has been the departure from Ferrari of Kimi Raikkonen, followed up very quickly by the news that he will be going to Sauber and being replaced, of course, by Charles Leclerc, as we all expected. But of course, the big kicker to this story is Kimi going to, to Sauber, which I know the BBC kind of reported on, but I don't think anybody really bought it. And now suddenly it's it's the truth. And it, to me, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense um, why a, a Ferrari junior team would have someone like Kimi Raikkonen in the team. But there you go. That's, that's what's happening. And we're all really excited to see how Charles Leclerc is going to go against Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari. Trumpets. Yes, I am beyond excited to see this because for the first time in, well, perhaps since the Daniel Ricciardo days, Vettel will actually have to demonstrate he deserves the treatment he's been handed. And I don't know, I'd have to say the uh, record is not exactly, well... Well, we did a meme, didn't we, on the Miss Apex podcast account, which was Vettel going, a rookie is being promoted from the junior team. This has happened before. Oh, God, this has happened before. 
Yeah, and and that's that's really what it is. He was not exactly the master of Daniel Ricciardo the year, and it, it was his last year at Red Bull when he went to Ferrari. Now there are those who will say that he was purposefully um, leaving a few tents here and there so that he hit his bailout clause on his contract, but I don't believe there's any incontrovertible proof uh, to that effect that has ever been offered. But it finally offers up a proper challenge for him. I mean, Alonzo, Hamilton at McLaren, right? Ricciardo, Vettel, Red Bull. And here we are again at Ferrari. You have the hot youngster walking in. Will it happen next season? Probably not. I look to 2020 to really see Leclerc have, have, a, have a proper go at him. But it could happen next year. And if it does, oh, it will be delicious. My my favorite thing about this this whole story is that it's really shown up Mercedes, for example, and how to handle a young driver and his progression through Formula One. Because Mercedes have just got a flurry of young drivers with nowhere to go. And Ferrari have gone, look, there's our young superstar. He's done a year in a Sauber and now he's racing for, for us. Isn't that brilliant? I could not disagree more. This is exactly the same thing that happened to Carlos Sainz. At Toro Rosso versus Verstappen. Verstappen was basically at a position where he could leverage his name, say, either you promote me or I go. And that's that's why that happened. And I think Leclerc might very well be in the same position now. He is he is he is going to Ferrari because he had the leverage to get to Ferrari. Never put somebody his age in their car. It is just not done. Marchioni was going to do that. <clears throat> And they might have thought better of it by the time they got to the end of the season and saw Kimmy's performance, but they gave Kimmy. I think I think this is a bailout deal for Kimmy. I think his oh. performance justified him having another year. I think Leclerc to Haas, uh, with probably Grosjean being out, but you never know, was really what would have happened had we seen out the end of the season with Marchione still there, but we didn't. So now we have this. It, it just doesn't make any sense, does it, to put Raikkonen in a Ferrari junior team. He will be 41 when his contract expires at the end of 2020. And especially if you were going to say they keep Ericsson, for example, what is the point in, in that team then? Why are they not bringing up more uh, Ferrari juniors if, if, you know, if that's the case? Well, you do bring up the interesting wrinkle. What is the point if they keep Ericsson? Well, if I was Ericsson, I'd be very much asking myself that question. If Raikkonen truly has taken an ownership stake, then are we looking at Giovinazzi? I really hope so. I really hope so, because the kid should already be in Formula One. He should already be in Formula One, to be honest. And if I I feel like this is going to be his last chance. And then you're in a position of being sort of like the Massa, who has a lot of setup experience, a lot of practical experience in the sport, mentoring young drivers who were on that escalator with no exit at the top. But if if Leclerc has been able to come in and thrash Ericsson straight away, I don't see any reason why Giovinazzi couldn't do the same thing. You know, it's not like he needs a Raikkonen there to kind of show him the ropes. Uh, I mean, really? You're going to say that Giovinazzi was the equal of Leclerc in GP2? I think Giovinazzi is a hugely talented racing driver who came very close to winning the GP2 title in his first season against somebody who had already been there for three years. Yeah, and I think the difference is the inconsistency 
uh, is the consistency from Leclerc I saw in GP2, but I did not see it from Giovinazzi, although I did see the speed, and there's that. Well, the, the trouble with that season of GP2 in particular was that just there were like eight guys going for the title that year before Prima really stepped up. So I don't think the two seasons are really comparable. But let's not forget the guy he fought for that GP2 title that year was Pierre Gasly. Interesting. And Giovinazzi, though, didn't do himself any favours with just a few really unlucky incidents when he came in. There was that strip of wet wasn't there in the Chinese Grand Prix. Didn't he crash on a formation lap or some such thing? Anyway, he, he didn't look good when he came into F1. He he did in the first race where he very nearly made it into Q2 on his debut. Got super unlucky when he aquaplaned in the Chinese Grand Prix qualifying and had a, a similar incident in the race. Um, which, yeah, was unfortunate, but I don't think he did himself much of a, a an injustice, to be honest. And I think he's very uh, capable of being competitive in Formula One. All right. I want to weigh in here and pick up on a point Matt made early on in this chat, which is Ferrari never bring a young guy in like this. It's really rare. There was part of me that just didn't expect it. I was all shaped up for Raikkonen to stay another year. And obviously these decisions were made weeks ago and they'd been building to a point however matt here's the optics that's a u.s twitter word that you'll understand here's the optics is that basically raikkonen and, and vettel are in the ferrari they go to monza Kimi raikkonen mugs vettel by nicking the draft in q3 twice vettel says we'll talk later vettel then goes off and uh bins himself into lewis hamilton throwing away championship points before the next race, Kimi Raikkonen is shipped off to Sauber. Maybe they did talk later. And Vettel, instead of having a compliant number two, has a young superstar hotshot who, in my opinion, is going to beat him. If he's got raw pace, he's going to beat him. Uh, I could not agree with you more. I think Raikkonen made the best deal out of everyone. If he gets an ownership stake out yeah. of it, which is the rumor, it's not confirmed, but that is the rumor. We have to wait and see. What happens? He's going to own part of an F1 team. He's going to get to drive for two more years. So he'll hit that magic age and whatever magic number he's aiming at. He'll get to be part of it. He won't have the same pressure that he has at Ferrari. And if Sauber come good and they, Sauber Alpha looks like it might, they will have the potential to take the place of Haas. Because don't forget what Carter told us about the Haas deal. It's one and done, baby. They got to find someone else to be their sugar daddy in this sport or else they will be in serious trouble because they do not have the same kind of resources that a team like Sauber or a team like Williams has. They can be the McLaren B team, Chris. Oh, that'd be awful for them, wasn't, wouldn't it? If, they, if anything like they treat their drivers. Uh, I don't think Raikkonen's departure from Ferrari was anything to do with Monza because Marchi only wanted Leclerc in the car months ago. Could the Sauber deal be related to it? Possibly. You know, there's the theory that by getting him a, a seat in Formula One for the next two years, which with a team that he potentially may have a partial ownership of. Let's, let's just pretend it, he has. has. It, the room is so strong. Let's just roll until we hear otherwise. Let's assume that Raikkonen is going there with a big lump of ownership. Okay, have they bought Raikkonen's compliance in playing a number two role for the remainder of this season and helping Sebastian Vettel win uh, the world championship? Maybe. I, I like the point. Matt is shaking his head, but I like no, the I, point. I, I because hang on, Matt, Matt, Matt. If they were, if they were just binning Raikkonen 
out, just off you go, son. We've, we've seen that he does have the potential to not follow team orders. And earlier on in the season, when they were saying, hey, look, you know, we might be on different strategies and Vettel is behind you. And Kimi Raikkonen was there going, I want to hear you say it. Say it. Say what you want me to do. You can imagine that Kimi, a spurned Kimi Raikkonen would be dangerous for Ferrari. Chris, you make a good point. Yeah, a spurned Kimi could be dangerous, but just because he's going to Sauber and just because Ferrari worked out this soft uh, and beautiful exit for him that makes, we assume, makes him happy, doesn't mean that he's just going to roll over and do what the team tells him. That, I don't think, is entirely in his nature. He will he will take, if the team tells him to let Vettel pass, well, that's exactly what he did. He understands the game. But he's not just going to automatically play it for them. They're going to have to tell him what they want from it. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, I I think this, if anything, could backfire because now he has zero left to lose. He's got a great place to go to. And and he's driving for nothing but his own reputation. And there's no one faster than someone who's only driving for their reputation. Well, hang on a minute. Kimi Raikkonen only drives fast when he hasn't got a contract. Now he has a contract. It could be the opposite. Not a Ferrari. He's got everything to prove to them. Stevens, wrap this up for us. What is going to be the lay of the land next season? Tell us who's going to be the dominant driver at Ferrari and what's going on at Sauber. Give us your best guess. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a dominant driver at Ferrari anymore. I think Leclerc is going to shake Vettel up uh, a little bit. It's going to give him a a bit of a kick in the backside that I think he quite desperately needs, to be honest, because I think he's getting a bit complacent of where he is at the moment. And that's why we're seeing errors from him. So I think it will spurn Vettel on a little bit. I don't think Leclerc will be beating him straight away, maybe towards the back end of 2019, going into 2020. That's going to be Leclerc's time. Uh, where it, with with Sauber, um, it would have to depend on who the second driver is, to be honest. Awesome. Guys, let's go on to a bit of power stuff because there was some interesting power news. And I know this because it's in the show notes. That's the only thing I know. I also don't know who it is that wants to talk about it. So you have to gesture to me in some way. Let's go for trumpets. Oh, you make the best guesses there. Yeah, it came out in Automotor Unsport. That they had gotten GPS data and were able to put numbers to um, ice-only performance. That would be internal combustion engine-only performance. Not the hybrid bit, which adds extra and is powered by a battery, not petroleum, but just the ice. And uh, it actually shows Ferrari is having a modest 10-brake horsepower advantage over Mercedes, 790 to 780. And then we get to the Renault which is currently, and this is the Spec C Renault, pegged at about 730. And then the current Honda, which is pegged at 715. Now their C-Spec engine, which is supposed to come before the end of the year, is rumored to be around 750, which would put it ahead of the Renault. But Renault say they have another update coming that will put them what they perceive to be almost equal with uh, Mercedes. So Chris, what do you know about this? Uh, well, there's more specs coming, you know, with, with Renault all the time. And really, it depends on which teams are going to be taking them, because we know that Renault themselves haven't taken the Spec C engine uh, yet, because they don't want to for fear of reliability. I think it's only Red Bull that uh, have it at the moment. The thing that stands out for me is is Honda. 
um, about the fact that they, they're about to overtake Renault in terms of their ICE. And the fact that we've just had two power circuits, Spa and Monza, and Toro Rosso have performed very well. A, a Q3 performance at Monza, I think points at Spa as well with Gasly. That's what? a really you know, strong thing for them. Wait, what? Honda are about to overtake Renault on on horsepower See, for the internal combustion engine. What? Wait, hang See, on. This is, this is what I'm trying to say. Like Honda are not as bad as the perception is. You know, the, I know there's three years of McLaren ha- have done them all awfully wrong, but because of the way they've been able to work with Toro Rosso, they've just come leaps and bounds. And actually, this Red Bull deal for next season might not be as awful as people think it's going to be. Funny but true. Uh, everybody's favorite punching bag, Marcus Erickson, no less, was on record as saying he was unable in his Ferrari-powered Sauber. Now, granted, they were running a very draggy setup at Monza because of their issues with DRS, but he was unable to overtake Gasly in the Honda even with DRS because Honda has gotten much, much on top of their energy deployment after the drivers had been complaining about it. And let's not forget the ability of the ERS to deploy that energy and to use, critically use the MGUH energy, which is theoretically can go, can go not just to the battery, but anywhere inside the ice is, is very much um, part of what makes the modern hybrid power plant so powerful. What adds so much to the lap time. And Honda is getting on top of these issues, and surprisingly so, I'd say, but happily, but not really, not really surprisingly. How long have they been in it? When they reopen the regulations, this is the second year, you would expect to see this kind of pace. If anything, I'd say Renault is dragging. That would be my takeaway. Excellent. Guys, we are running a little bit long tonight, but I really want to talk about the Channel 4 deal. Chris, what's going on? Channel 4 pretty proud of themselves today on social media i feel less happy where do you stand no this is a really great deal and i'll tell you why because two years ago this was never going to happen two years ago it was going to be five or six years of sky f1 getting everything and channel four getting nothing so to have all the races with highlights plus one live british gp is a huge win for Channel 4, it's still on free-to-air. The coverage is cut back, yes, but they're limited on what the the contract was signed back in 2016 um, when Formula 1 was under different ownership, I must point out. So this is a huge win. And really, it's only for one year because, uh, well, apart from anything else, there could be no British GP in 2020, which will pretty much <laughs> nullify the contract, I think. So really, I, I know that this is... You know, it's, it, it seems a backward step from what we have now, and it is, but from what it could have been, this is way, way better. I agree. Um, there was going to be no free-to-air at all, and now there's not only highlights packages of every race, which, all right, look, if you're a fan... Who's got their a- Skype noises on? Come on, this is episode, like, 400. I really don't know. If you're a fan. If you're a fan of Formula One, you want to see the race live. And it's a drag that you can't see it, or most of them, on free-to-air TV. But the fact is, Formula One needs new viewers. And highlights packages 
on free-to-air TV are an excellent way to convert the casual fan into the serious viewer. And you're going to get to see the British Grand Prix live. And the only reason this is happening at all, I'm supposing, is because the nice folks at Liberty Media went and had a little chat with the Sky folks and said, look, you know what? It's going to kill our business model to not be free-to-air in England. And you're going to have to do something about that. You're going to have to help us out a little bit. And so they have. Okay, so there's obviously a lot more measured ways to approach this topic. Will you allow me to be just my base instinct on this? So I will caveat this afterwards. So please don't like quote me. Spanners just got angry about this. But here's how the kid in me feels. I One live race is nothing. One live race is absolutely nothing. The fact is right now, people are looking out for Channel 4 races. When it was on the BBC, they get in the habit of watching it on terrestrial TV. People will go until, where's what, Silverstone, round eight, round nine, without looking out for it on Channel 4. They might even miss it. They might, unless it's amazingly promoted in like on Facebook and Twitter and, and people who aren't sitting there waiting for, do you know what I mean? They'll, they'll be out of the habit of watching it on Channel 4. One race is, is nothing. It's pointless. Highlights is not, yeah, there is a market for people who watch it on highlights, but that's not F1. F1 is the live races. So when you're someone like me who has grown up watching the live races, has fallen in love with Formula One by tuning into every race free to air since I was eight. And this is the bit where I said, guys, you've got to forgive me a little bit. I feel like it's been stolen from me. This feels like bait and switch. It feels like theft because I was duped into becoming a lifelong F1 fan with free to air TV and now Sky has come along, has taken it and said to, to have this thing that I've had for the last 30 years, I now need to pay 35 quid a month to have a Sky package or fork out whatever they're doing on Now TV. It feels horrible as a British free-to-air viewer of Formula One. And that's, that's me. That's me off my chest. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel the same, Matt. I, I partially agree uh, with, with that because... Uh, I felt exactly the same way in 2012 when I had to buy a, a Sky package to keep watching Formula One. But uh, if I were to pull a, qu- uh, a quote from uh, F1 Broadcasting just off the top of my head, uh, the highlights packages get somewhere in the region of two and a half million views, whereas the live coverage is somewhere in the region of you know a few hundred thousand. Wait a minute, the highlights the- packages of who? The Formula... The, the- the Channel 4 oh, highlights packages Channel 4. compared to the Sky Live or compared to the yes. Channel 4 Live. All right, so you're comparing apples and oranges. That's not two things that you can compare. Compare the Channel 4 Live viewers with the highlights for sure and compare the Sky Live thing with the Sky highlights. That's that's the two things to compare. There's going to be more viewers on Channel 4 because it's free. Well, it's not free. It's not free because we pay license fee and we watch adverts. Channel 4 is partly government-owned, but it also is funded. It wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the British Broadcasting uh, Institution. And the fact is, we get our eyeballs on the adverts, and that's how we pay for it. When you watch an advert, you're paying for something. So you're comparing two completely different things, and we still have to pay those things. And on top of that, we now have to pay for Sky. All right, I'll put it to you this way. In the old days, there was nothing but highlights for Formula One. When people like me roamed the earth, there was nothing but highlights. There were no full races ever. Yeah, but you weren't in the UK. I wasn't. No, even in the UK, they didn't show full races. That That's a more recent thing. But what, what, wait a minute. What, how recent? I'm I'm four, 38 years old and I never have had a time where it was highlights look, only in the UK. 
the seventies. Go back. All to right. The 70s. Well, okay. No, we're not. We're not doing this. We're not going to. We're not. We're not this is not a Brexit debate. We're not going to go back to look at nineteen seventy. It were, it were right. rubbish then, so it doesn't matter if it's rubbish now. You don't go back. That's fine. Do you know how many races you were going to get next year free? Right. So that, that exactly. That's that's ex- that is exactly the point I'm making to you. This new deal is nothing compared to what it was going to be, which is no live races. One live race is nothing. It's still the same rubbish situation for UK viewers that it was before. Don't come to me with that and say, oh, no, you felt like you were missing out, but you are getting one race live on free to air. And the highlights, they matter. You're misunderstanding. I think the the thing, you weren't even going to get highlights before. Yes, this is what I'm saying. I I don't care about highlights. I'm an F1 fan and I watch the F1 races live and I have done since I was eight years old in 1988. No, no, I, I agree. I hate the fact that Sky have taken it, a, a, you know, away, and and we're going to completely close it off on an, on FTA. But you can't call this deal nothing when you are at the very least getting a highlights package when before you were going to get absolutely nothing. Okay, hands up all the people who used to watch it live but are now really happy that they get to put their fingers in their ears all of Sunday go, ah la la, I'm not listening to radio or media or Facebook and then watch a highlights package in the evening. That's not happening. That there are no, there might be people who are happy watching highlights, but there's no one who sit, who has been for the last 30 years sitting down watching live races who is now going to go, oh, I can't watch them. Oh, but I can wait till later and watch the highlights. Oh, I'll just do that then. They're either no, going to, they're either going to fork out or they're just going to stop watching F1. No, I, I, I agree. I don't like it, but compared to what was going to happen, this deal is good. I agree. It's better than nothing by a long shot. For the whole sport. Is it better for you who wants to see it for free on regular TV and doesn't want to pay for Sky? No. It's not no, free, it's but okay, enough. get your point. But how many people air. how many people fall into that box? I think I, I think if you look at I think if Sky, Yeah, I think if you I, well we'll find out next year, won't we? Because we'll yeah. we'll see what the Sky viewing figures are. And I would imagine that a very small percentage of the live Channel 4 audience is going to then start getting a Sky or Now TV subscription. I think the internet traffic is going to increase wildly. Yeah, could be. Or you just listen to it on the radio and watch the GPS trackers because, frankly, yeah, that's about 90% is good. I'll be honest. I've covered a few I've covered a few qualifiers like that. So, deep breath spanners. Okay, that's the emotional part of it. I understand the business side of it. But as the chat room has pointed out, you know, look what happened to cricket. It, you know, these... F1 is a, a niche sport as far as UK market share goes, and this is going to really hurt it. Uh, I disagree. I think the highlights package will be influential, and the fact that every race gets some kind of free-to-air coverage is tremendously important. And I think it's great that Liberty, I'm assuming, put the screws to Sky to make sure they work this deal out. I think sport in general needs to learn that the best way to grow your audience is to stick it on free-to-air. And I hate the fact that Every kind of discipline and every league of every discipline needs to have like its own streaming service that they charge you 30 quid a month for. You're like, you're paying for the same as an entire sports package just to watch one individual thing. I mean, just take motorsport as an example. In this country, you know, say for example, Formula One will just end up on F1 TV. You want to watch MotoGP? You have to get a MotoGP uh, video pass account. You want to watch the World Endurance Championship? You got to either pay for Eurosport to get some parts of races live, or buy a WEC video pass. That I that's wrong. I I shouldn't be paying a hundred quid a month just to watch some motorsport. 
it's not sustainable for 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 a consumer. I think we're going to get a la carte viewing fatigue. We thought we wanted uh, to watch programs what where we want on the device we want and pick and choose the programs, but with everyone bringing in their subscription, as Chris says, it stacks up. It does stack up, but I will say, um, because I have subscribed to F1 TV, which we can have over here, it's way cheaper than the full, it's way cheaper than the full cable bill. And if you're a serious fan, it's also way cheaper than the full Sky bill. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes in the next couple of years. But note that I didn't do what the anti-Halo people said. I didn't, I didn't say, I'm not watching F1 if it goes off free to air, because I definitely will, because Sky are very clever. And they know there's people like me who, A, will definitely watch F1, whatever happens, and B, feel pretty guilty about stealing stuff. Because you wouldn't steal a handbag, so why would you steal a live stream? Yeah, exactly. You're just going to stop podcasting if it goes off free to air. Even without the podcast, I would still be, I would still be suck. I'd just be angry about it. I'd be angry, but I would be, I would be doing it. Um, So we have to go now because we're all off to find a friend to share sky sign-ins with uh but chris where can people find you online uh, you can find me on twitter at c stevens underscore journo and matt you can find me at matt pt 55 on the twitters as always and a fantastic thank you to our guest alex brundle you can follow him by searching alex brundle on twitter and you can follow me at spanners ready or spanners bbc if you want to tune into bbc radio cambridgeshire to hear me playing tunes and talking about life and love as richard spanners ready uh, by following at spanners bbc all the links will be there until next time the singapore grand prix remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory last forever this was an interview with alex bundle followed by some news Oh, I forgot to mention that there will be a little bit of F1 on my show, on my radio show, from a voice you will recognise from mainstream media. Fine. Don't ask me. Is it, no, no. None of you are mainstream or know enough about F1 to pull off a decent I, preview. I know. What? Have you listened I, to our previews? What? What? on TalkSport and talked about it. Oh, yeah. See, you were the talk sport, like, middle of the night, like 2 a.m. Yeah, 2 a.m. Yeah. was the, the F1 slot they gave. And I, believe it or not, me, the idiot who asks you questions, uh, I, I'm the BBC Norfolk guy that they call up and ask to give them all, like, rundowns of what's going on. in F1. the morning. No, um, it's um, 7 See, in the morning. It's the breakfast show. It's the breakfast show I'm, I go uh, on. I'm very happy when... Uh... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 